We're in Acts chapter 5 this morning. And uh, man, I'm looking around the room. I think there's faces I haven't seen in two years. So it is is so good to see everyone, not just the old faces, but um, so good. So Acts chapter 5, I'm just going to jump right in. We're we're in 5, 1 through 16 this morning. So verse 1 says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Uh, The the Bible does not hold anything back. Uh, One thing I very much appreciate about the Bible is uh, the honesty of Scripture. God didn't have to put this story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, um, but he did. And it's not even like the worst story of, of, of things that God's people have done. There, there are many stories that are much worse. But when we come to Scripture, we can trust that there's nothing uh, photoshopped or, or airbrushed uh, about what we're reading in this book. We get to see all the problems of God's people. Uh, we see the, the dysfun- dysfunction, the selfishness in, in high definition. And up to this point in Acts, the early church has actually looked really, really good. And then we hit chapter 5, and we see um, this this first sin that's identified. Obviously, there's there's been sin. I mean, there's sinful people. We are sinful people. But but this is the first that we read about sin in the church. And it's a bold sin. It's a dangerous sin. And we we read this story, and if you've never heard it before, uh, or even if you have, it is jarring. This narrative, uh, that's, that's what we, we feel when we read sto- this story or stories like this in Scripture. And that's what we're supposed to feel, right? This story ought to just stop us in our tracks like it did both the, the church that we read about, but even outsiders. And in a few verses, we come face to face with the reality that God is who he is. He's not who we imagine him to be. We see God's holiness here. It's it's greater than we comprehend. We realize, or we should realize at least, that our sin is more serious than we think it is. 
realize that God has the right to execute judgment for sin. And we'll see in this passage, too, that following Jesus, right, being a part of his church, isn't a casual thing. So let's jump in. First of all, Luke doesn't make it clear if Ananias and Sapphira uh, are genuine believers or not. We don't know, but I, I wonder if, um, if a lot of people assume that they're not and write them off as unbelievers. Uh, but Luke doesn't, he doesn't tell us for sure. If I had to guess one way, I would actually guess that they are true followers of Christ. And one thing I should have said, back in chapter 4, um, where, where Dan was uh, just a couple weeks ago, you might remember it ends with this man named uh, Barnabas. That was actually his nickname, which means son of encouragement. And he sells this piece of land and gives all of the money uh, to the apostles. He just lays it at their feet, says, you, you do with this as you see fit for the church, for the, the, the progress of the gospel. And certainly, when this happened, uh, word spread quickly. I'm, I'm sure inside the church and probably even a, a bit outside the church. And you can imagine how people spoke about this. I'm sure that he was admired by many. I'm sure that there were some that, that at least inside, said, man, I want to be generous like that. I'm sure that there are some that verbalized that to others. I, I want to I sacrifice like Barnab Barnabas. I want to love like Barnabas. And, and I'm, I'm sure that it inspired generosity, right? They maybe didn't go as far as Barnabas did, but, um, but I'm sure that they were more generous than, than they would have been without his example, right? There, there's something about the behavior of others. It can influence us. It, it can impact us in good ways and, and ways that aren't so good. I was, I mean, I was remember back Right, like right before COVID hit, and I don't know if you went to Costco, but I went to Costco, and like what other people were buying greatly impacted what I bought. Like I saw people going for tinfoil. I'm like, I probably need tinfoil, right? And I couldn't find like the normal, like I don't know, 20 yards, 50 yards that you should buy, right? So I went to the industrial section. I got like the restaurant. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a lot of tinfoil for a long time, right? Toilet paper. I saw people buying toilet paper. I'm like, I need toilet paper. Like, we all kind of freaked out over a few things. Man, we're, we are easily influenced in, in good ways and in not so good ways by, uh, by the actions of others. And Barnabas's generosity certainly influenced people in the church in good ways, and, and it, it impacted Ananias and Sapphira too. And it's possible that they started out with pure motives, right? Maybe, maybe just great motives. Right? Maybe, maybe when they saw Barnabas lay down this gift, maybe they looked at each other and without even saying a word, communicated, man, you know that, that extra piece of land we own? We should sell it. We should do what he's done. Let's just, let's just give this to God's work. Right? Maybe it started off with the, the, the best of intentions. But then, but then perhaps as they got a little further from that, that, that thought, that idea, maybe Ananias thought, yeah, we could afford to do this for, for sure, but it, it would be nice to have a little bit more in our savings. Or, or maybe he thought, is it really wise? Is it wise of us? Are, are we being good with this money to, to really just give it all to the church? 
So maybe he, he mentions it in passing to Sapphira and, and says, hey, so what if we actually kept some of it for ourselves? And, and, and you know, we wouldn't even have to tell everyone. I mean, maybe he's just wondering how she would react and maybe she'd already had the same thoughts or, or maybe not. Maybe, maybe she hadn't really thought about it and, and maybe suddenly it hit her like, yeah, what if something scary happens and we're gonna need money? Are we really just gonna give all of this money away? So, so it, through discussion, we don't know exactly how it went down, but they decided, no, they were, gonna, they were gonna say that they're giving all of it, but they were gonna keep some of it for themselves. And who was gonna find out? There wasn't like Jerusalem Zillow to check on the sales price of the land, right? As long as they sold it to someone outside of the church, the chances of someone finding out would be slim. So Ananias brings this amount of money to Peter, lays it at his feet, and he, he, he says this is, this is the full amount from the sale, but Peter knows, right? Not because Peter was an expert in reading body language. No, this was certainly because the Holy Spirit had had revealed this to him, and he confronts Ananias with these questions in verses three and four. He asks, asks, why has Satan filled your heart? And what a contrast to the filling that we have seen in these early chapters of Acts, believers filled with the Spirit. And the result is these, these miracles. We've seen thousands of people getting saved, like maybe up to 20,000 people in just this short, short time have come to know Jesus as their Savior. What a contrast to being filled with Satan. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't label this as demon possession, but, but I would call this satanic influence. Ananias had given evil more and more of a place in himself. He traded in being filled with the Spirit to be filled with Satan. He wasn't just saying yes to evil. He was saying no to God. And then the next part of Peter's question attached to that, he says to lie to the Holy Spirit. When we lie to other believers, you realize we're lying to God. The Holy Spirit is in them. So logically, when we try to deceive another Christian who by definition has a union with God, we're, we're lying to God. And I suspect none of us would think, if we really thought through it, none of us would think, oh, I can fool God. Right? I can get one past him. But we live like we can. Or, or maybe we live like he won't notice or, or that he doesn't really care. He's not really paying attention. He asks, he says, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Right? He says, the land was yours before you sold it. Right? And, and even once you sold it, like the money was yours to decide what you want to do with it, right? You didn't have to give it all away. Just because Barnabas did that, it doesn't mean you had to. You were free to decide. He says, why do you, why do you, why'd you do this in, in your heart? Right? That, that's the question. Why? Well, they wanted to seem spiritual. They wanted to be admired by other people in this early church. They wanted to look generous. They wanted to look loving. They wanted, to, they wanted to look like they were these self-sacrificing members of this church. And it's really early in the church, right? Like maybe they were hoping that this would somehow boost their place in the church and give them a, a place of prominence and importance, but they wanted to look good in front of other people. They didn't care so much about what God thought, right? The one that they could not fool. On paper, that, that seems so stupid. Right? How did you think you would fool God? 
which is in Peter's final statement to Ananias, he says, you've not lied to man, but to God. And just a side note here, like this is one of the places that tells us the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the, the third member of the Trinity. But Ananias thought he was just trying to pull one over his brothers and sisters in the church, but his sin wasn't only against them, it was against God. And we all struggle with wanting to appear better than we are. Right? We all want people to, to see us in, in certain lights. Right? Maybe you want people to think that, that you're really intelligent or, or, or you're a hard worker or you're generous or you're strong or you're, you're caring or you're, you're, you're a servant, you're, you're kind, you're loving. I, I don't know, the list goes on and on. But we all, we all try to project. We all want people to think that, that really we're at least a little bit better than we are. We're wrapped up in the opinion of others. And, and some of us struggle with this way more than others, but, but I would argue that all of us, at least to a degree, we struggle with this. Some of us spend our whole lives trying to impress others, or, or maybe it's just one specific person. I, there's a, a guy I did college ministry with years ago. Um, man, awesome, awesome guy. Um, uh, he, he came from a, a pretty broken family. Dad really um, was not in the picture. And, and I've watched this guy uh, over the years since I've, I've known him the past couple of decades. Man, super successful. One of the most driven people that I know. But it only took me a couple of years to realize like all of that drive in him is he's just fighting for his dad's approval. Everything in his life, is, as far as I can tell, is he, he, he's just trying to get dad to notice him, to approve of him. And, and I don't know what that's like. I had a totally different situation growing up, man. My dad told me all the time and still does that he loves me. But I do know that God the Father is, is crazy about this friend. And I just wish, I wish he cared more about that than trying to impress his dad. We, we try so hard to look good for others when God is the one that we should really be focused on, right? He's the one who knows us fully, and the crazy thing is, he still loves us. How many people would love you if they knew you fully? Right, like your mom and your dad? I don't know if the list goes that far beyond that. Maybe, I mean, if you're married, hopefully your spouse. Maybe you've got some really good friends. But, but if we're honest, like, if people knew everything we've ever done, if they know the stuff that we don't even know about ourselves yet, the stuff that we're going to do, would they, would they really love us? But God fully knows you and loves you. Right? There's, there's nothing that, that he could someday discover about you that suddenly would change everything. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he absolutely loves you. And yet I find myself so concerned about other people, and maybe some of you are that way too. Well, Ananias and Sapphira were, they wanted to be seen as loving and generous and, and godly. They wanted to be important people in the church. Harvest, how, how truthful are we with one another? What are, we, what are we hiding or what are we so tempted to hide from each other? Or are you a totally different person when you leave this place? Are you one way Monday through Saturday, and then you come to church and you put on the Christian show for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I wonder, are there Christians who really know you? Are there Christians that you confess sin to? 
Is there someone in your life that, that you've been so honest with them, they know some of the ways that you're tempted in, in just daily life? Or I wonder if you, if you pull this trick, do you only confess sin when it's pretty far in the rear view, when, when you feel like you've got a handle on it? It's interesting that this is the first sin that's confronted in this newly born church. Right? God wanted the church for all time to see how serious this was. On verse 5, we, we see the, the judgment. Ananias hears the words of Peter's confrontation. He falls down dead. We, we don't know exactly how he died. We don't know if it was a heart attack. We, we don't know what it was. But, but clearly, this is portrayed as God's judgment for his sin. Our sin is, is a much bigger deal than we realize. Our sin is worthy of God's judgment. Now, we, we're used to God being so patient with us, so gracious with us, right? And, and he, he is patient and gracious. So why is this different? Why did God judge this time right away? Well, look at the end of verse 5. It says, Great fear came upon all who heard of it. This was God's discipline, not just of Ananias and Sapphira, but this is discipline of the church. Right? Immediately, judgment came into the church. Right? And even people on the outside understood this warning. Okay, sin. Sin is a big, big deal. There is no little sin. And this God, he can do whatever he wants. He knows everything about us. We remember also that the church is, I mean, it's, it, it's brand new, right? These believers that we read, read about, they're, they're brand new Christians. If you've read about the church in the New Testament, God loves the church. Paul calls the church the bride of Christ. You better believe God is going to protect his bride. Now, Satan, in, in just the previous chapters, Satan tried to attack the church from the outside by persecution, and that didn't work. Right? The persecution comes, and what happens? Well, the church prays. Right? The, the religious leaders try to put this pressure on them. They, they beat some of them. They imprison some of them, and, and God's people come together, and they pray, and they ask for boldness. And what does God do? He gives them boldness, right? and, and, and the church grows. Right? More and more people come to know Christ. The persecution had the exact opposite effect. Now Satan, since that wasn't working, I'm sure like he planned, he moved to attack inside the church. And I wonder, should we even be more concerned about attacks within the church? It's, it is easy for us as Christians in America, I think, to look at our culture and, and predict and, well, and even see and feel right now, but in the coming years and decades, like there will probably be more persecution, right? And, and we might get nervous about that. But I wonder, should we actually even be more concerned uh, about attacks within the church? God wasn't going to let, let, let this attack take root. Last week, Matt, our youth pastor, talked about the unity of the church. Our unity is crucial. In chapter 4, we saw that there was great grace upon the church, and I think part of that was because they were so unified in Christ with one another. They were of one heart and one mind. And did they have differences? Certainly. Right? Did, did they come from uh, different places, have different perspectives? Yes, but what brought them all together was Jesus. 
right? and all over the place right now. I'm sure you feel like I do. It, it, it seems like people are just looking for reasons to divide in our world. And sadly, I think we're seeing this more and more in Christianity too. This story reminds us of another crucial time for God's people way back in Joshua. Um, Moses had died, and now Joshua was leading God's people into the land promised by God. Right? They had to trust God as they came to these different cities and fought battle after battle of all, all these, uh, these militaries that, you know, on paper, they should have won. But, but God was the one fighting for little Israel. They won because of God, and Israel knew it. So everything's going really, really well until uh, this, this battle that they felt like should have been a cakewalk for them, and suddenly Israel's defeated and they're running away. Like clearly God's protection was not on them. So what happened? Well, Joshua sought the Lord and um, he, he would come to find out there was this man named Achan. And it says that Achan kept for himself some of the spoil of the war, right? They, they were commanded to uh, devote all this to destruction, but, but he kept for himself. Language just like what Peter says to Ananias here. Um, Achan kept from himself some of the things he saw, some of the, the, the treasures, the riches, right? He was enticed. He, he saw the silver or the gold or whatever it was, and when no one's looking, he took it and he hid it under his tent, and it looked like he got away with it, but like I said, there was that next battle, and, and, and suddenly Joshua, their leader, could tell, okay, there's something different here. God, God didn't fight for us like he did before he seeks the Lord. And long story short, it's revealed uh, that it's Achan. It's, it's because of Achan's sin. And, and Achan and his family, who I'm guessing they knew that he hid this stuff under the family tent, they're killed. God judges them for this sin that impacted all of Israel, I mean, literally all of Israel. God was not going to let this deception of Achan slide. And part of the deceitfulness of sin is that we think, we lie to ourselves and say, this only impacts me, right? or, or maybe a little bit further, but, but we don't recognize how far it goes. Achan's sin truly impacted all of Israel. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. My sin isn't isolated. Your sin isn't isolated. I heard a story um, of, uh, I can't remember which legend it was from my Bible college, Multnomah. Uh, I can't remember if it was Dr. Mitchell, one of the presidents, or, or another guy. But um, uh, this person, this professor or president, whoever they were, they were having uh, breakfast with uh, someone that they were mentoring in the school. And this young man asked, how do you deal with temptation, like how, how do you how do you fight against temptation? And before the question was it was even fully asked, um, this this professor is pulling out a piece of paper from his Bible that he had folded up, and he, he unfolds it, and, and it's this list of names. I mean, name upon name upon name, dozens and dozens of names. His his whole family was on there. Professors were on there. Other people in the school were on there. There were people in his church. There were people back from his hometown. He said, he said something along the lines of, my sin impacts all of these people. And, and this list isn't even exhaustive. If we only grasp the impact of our sin, that we think we're, we're, we're just hiding and keeping to ourselves, 
our sin impacts the body of Christ because we are, as Paul says, members of one another. And this story that we read today confronts what we think about God, what we believe about God, what we imagine about God. Right? The truth is God is who he is. He's not, he's not who we think he should be or he's not what we think he should be like. And even if you've never really spent much time thinking about it, we, we all imagine God to be a certain way. And, and when, when, uh, when that's not completely shaped by Scripture, um, so that's all of us have these imaginations that aren't right, it's funny how much God is like us. It's funny uh, that God happens to care about all the same social issues just like we do. It's funny that, that he hates the exact same sins we do, and somehow he happens to be tolerant of the ones that we're pretty tolerant of too. But when we come to a passage like this, we, we ought to realize that our understanding of God has to be shaped by his word. It has to be shaped by what he has revealed about himself. Now, Acts 5 is just one snapshot of God, right? You wouldn't build your entire understanding of God on this story alone. We need all of scripture, but we also don't want to ignore this chapter because it's uncomfortable for us. I read this and I realize I don't understand God's holiness. I need, I need the scene like we get in Isaiah 6. If you remember that, he, he, he sees the Lord seated on the throne. You should go read it. I can't recount all of it to you right now. But he, he sees the Lord seated on the throne. He just cries out, woe is me. I'm ruined, right? He recognizes his sin, and, and he thinks, just, just seeing God, the man, he's, he's toast because God is so holy. God is nothing like him. He, he's wretched. When, when I read that, it helps me recognize that I really don't understand how different God is. There's a shirt, and I've talked about this before. I haven't seen one in years, but um, this shirt that uh, it, it says, Jesus is my homeboy on it, and it's got a picture of Jesus. And there's a way that, that biblically, uh, there's a sense that that is true, right? Jesus calls uh, the disciples his friends. James, uh, the book of James says that Abraham was, the friend, uh, was a friend of God. Uh, we read about Moses, and uh, the intimacy that, that Moses has with God, if it wasn't in the Bible, I don't think I could believe it. So, yes, Jesus is a friend to those who trust in him. But it isn't like, like your buddy in high school that you did stupid stuff with. Right? This, this one who calls you friend is God. He is the author of life. He is the creator of all things. He is the just judge. He is the one who sent his only son to die for sin. It reminds me of uh, a scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where uh, Susan's talking with Mr. Beaver. Maybe you remember this scene about Aslan the lion. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And Susan's like, oh, oh I, I, thought, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Man, that has always been such a, a helpful scene for me. And the church on this, this day, they realize it, it, 
God isn't safe. That's not the way to describe him. He is good. He is Lord. He is king. He does love you. I don't understand why in, in 7 and 8 these guys just knew what to do when a guy falls over dead in church. Just pick him up, bury him. Um, but they do. And, and then a few hours later, uh, his wife, Sapphira, walks in. And somehow she doesn't know what has happened to her husband. And Peter gives her a chance here to tell the truth. Right? He, he asks, did you sell the land for, for this amount that, that Ananias said you did? And, and she confirms it. I wonder how, how would you respond? How do you respond when you're confronted with deception? Right? Do you own up? Do you tell the truth? Or, or do you dig deeper? Do you double down? Uh, I've told a story before of a couple uh, professors that were from my Bible college, two guys that, that I, I just really thought the world of. Um, they, were, they were heroes uh, uh, that I had uh, during Bible college. And uh, within a couple of years of, uh, after I had left Bible college, both of them um, had been uh, caught in sin. Um, two totally different circumstances, but, but both were caught in sin. And, and one, he was confronted and, and right away, he fessed up to everything. He, he, he told more than they knew. Like he right away was, uh, showed a, a repentant heart. But the other one, when he was confronted, man, he justified, he rationalized, he, he blamed others for what had happened. Man, when you're confronted with sin, which, which are you like? Verse 9. Peter says to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Right? Maybe Ananias and Sapphira thought, yes, this, this is a lie. Right? We're not being fully truthful here. But look at how much good this money will do, right? We're giving away a ton of it, and we don't know how much. Maybe it was, maybe it was 90%, maybe it was 99%. We don't know. And maybe they're thinking, yeah, technically this is deception, but man, there's gonna be so much good gospel work. Think of how many people will be helped. Or maybe, maybe they thought God wasn't even really gonna notice. God is very active, right? He's, he's healing all these people. People are getting saved left and right. There's all these miracles going on, right? The world had never seen anything like this. Maybe, th maybe they thought God won't even, he won't have time to even pay attention to this. And we're so good at downplaying our sin. And, and here is a stark reminder that our sin matters. And, and yes, right, if you place your faith in Jesus, he has paid the price for sin, but do not, do not take advantage of his grace and mercy. Maybe, maybe they thought, you know, if I still feel guilty in a week, I'll just confess to God. Right? I know he forgives. And if he can forgive this, then maybe it isn't really that big of a deal. I've talked to some people that, that they've told me, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get serious about God later in life. Or, or maybe, maybe there's some people that are, that are bold enough to think, yep, on my deathbed, that is when I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. That's a really dumb plan, right? Ananias and Sapphira were confronted with their sin and took their last breath before they knew it. And verse 11 says, 
great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Man, God was protecting his church. Again, these were all, I mean, new believers, just babies in Christ. And it's no surprise that, that great fear came upon all the whole church. And I suspect that, that when news spread for, for, for those who weren't there and, and, and then for those who saw and, and, and kind of were processing all of it, I'm sure at some point, every single person in that church had the same sobering thought. That could have been me, right? Or maybe they thought, why wasn't that me? Right? You can imagine someone praying like, God, you could have taken me when I was in our last prayer meeting trying to sound more godly than I am. Why did you let me keep going in my hypocrisy? Ananias' name means God is gracious. And, and at first look, it, it doesn't appear like there's grace in his life, but there certainly was grace for the rest of the church. Right? They all took a harder look at their hearts. God had protected them from taking lightly their sin, from taking lightly their, their church family, from taking lightly the reputation of God. But maybe this also was grace in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Maybe if they would have gotten away with this, they, they would have just gone deeper and deeper into their deception. God is gracious when he, whenever he shines light on our sin. And, and, and I'm sure you've experienced a time where you were confronted by your sin, and, and it was God's grace shining light in the darkness, and it stopped you in your tracks. And, and then maybe at some point you, you imagine, man, what if, what if, I, what if I wasn't confronted on that day? Like, how far would I have gone? Because sin always takes us further than we intend for it to. It takes us to places that we really never thought we would go. So when God steps in, no matter how painful it may feel in the moment, it is gracious of him to, to stop us, to shine light in our darkness. Verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers added to the Lord, or believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. It doesn't feel like that should be connected to the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's not what you'd expect. I've never read anything about church growth that says, hey, try to recreate Acts 5. That'll go really well for you. Right, raise some money for the new church remodel. Call out someone who brings a lot of money who you think might be lying, and if they die, trust me, people will come to know Jesus. Like, no, this story only makes sense. I'm glad someone got it. This story only makes sense because God is at work. God will not be stopped. And in fact, we see here that, that God's the one stopping people. Right? This, is a, this is a warning shot, and it's impacting not just the church, but outside of the church. Right? It says there that, that people dared not join them. 
Because you can imagine as there's this explosive church growth, the, the excitement, the energy that must be in and around town about this, this new religion, this new church. I'm sure they heard about the love and the, generos- the generosity of these believers. I'm sure there were probably a lot of people that were, were ready to, to join this new church, but they didn't really want Jesus. They just wanted the stuff that they heard about in this church, but this stopped them in their tracks. Outsiders knew this was serious. But you look at verse 14, and it also says that more believers were added, right? More than ever. There's already been thousands. Like, how can more be added than ever? And in verse 15, we, we read the miracles just keep on coming. Right, so much so that, that people are just trying to like get in Peter's shadow so that, that if it falls on them, that, that it, they might be healed. God was establishing his church. It's the church that he loves. God loves the church more than you do. God loves the church way more than I do. And how we live as the church really matters to him. I want to end with a Part of Hebrews 4, this is Hebrews 4, 13 through 16. I, I love this passage. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Right? And that does not sound good. But let's keep going here. Verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Church, we we need to take this relationship with God seriously, this relationship with one another seriously. We need to take our sin seriously. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that that we get to read uh, about your continued work in the early church. Holy Spirit, we we thank you that that you you do fill believers that you empower us to be your witness everywhere, Lord, in our own homes, in our, in our neighborhoods, uh, across the world, Lord. God, I, I pray that we would be a people that long to see you glorified. God, we also recognize that we, we battle with sin. We know that, that in this life we will battle the flesh. God, would you... Would you help us to be a, a repentant people, Lord? God, if there's sin that we need to confess today, Lord, would we do that? Would we let go of these things that, that we've justified, these, these sins that in, in our minds are maybe small or inconsequential? Lord, would we confess those to you? And God, if, if, there, if it'd be good, like Scripture tells us, to, to confess to a brother or sister in Christ, would we do that even today, Lord? Jesus, we need your help. Even just to follow you, we need your help, God. We thank you for your grace. We we thank you, Jesus, that that you died for us, that you paid the price for our sin. But God, would would we not, because of your grace, take our sin lightly, Lord? It's in your name we pray, amen.